The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So as, uh, as Jessica said, um, I was away last week uh, with a bunch of other uh, pastors and church leaders that are doing this church renewal lab with us, and we were in Florida, and so I was sitting in the West Palm Beach airport on the way back and watching uh, the sermon from last week and just seeing myself get thrown under the bus. And then I thought to myself, you know, when, when Dr. Knowles came, he roasted me. When Pastor Kevin came, he roasted me. I'm like, I got to be more selective about who I invite. <laughs> in any case, last week we were in, invited into this season of Lent with, with a wonderful and a beautiful message um, from Pastor Kevin. And he shared about the call to faith in the midst of this season. And he reminded us of God's call to Abraham, right, to have faith and to trust and to follow, um, even though we might not know where that's going. Um, and that that was actually um, a gift that, that, that Abraham had that, that allowed him to, to, to live uh, more fully, to live more human, to let go of some things that were, um, you know, that, that, that held him, him, him back and uh, to, in serving God. And so that was a really beautiful introduction into this, this series that we're doing throughout the rest of Lent um, called Fully Alive, Fully Human. And uh, what do we mean by this? Um, why the, the title for this? Well, let me um, just intro it with this. So Lent is actually, I think, a season about flourishing. We talk about Lent is a time of, you know, um, of, of, of fasting and prayer and devotion. And all of that is to, to throw off things that, that are holding us back from living up to our creative potential, I think. Uh, and and we, so, so Lent is really about inviting us to flourish in God. Inviting us to, to live into the, the renewed life that Christ invites us into and calls us into through his death and resurrection. So Lent is about. Um, and in order to do that, though, in order to live a, a full life, a flourishing life, we have to have certain needs met. Um, Justin, I think that there is a slideshow for this. Or, sorry, uh, Dan, is there slides for this? Perfect. I've got a clicker here, so if you, uh, I, can, I can do some of that uh, advancing. But, so um, we have, this is a triangle that shows sort of the, the needs that we have as human beings. Um, and I know the font is a little bit small, but I'll walk us through it a little bit. So first, on the bottom, the most basic thing that we need is physical needs or physiological needs. We need, we need food, we need clothing, we need water, we need shelter. We need all of these things right? Um, but but it, this triangle shows us that the, the needs that we have as human beings actually moves beyond that, okay? We, we need more than just, just physical needs. Uh, we need to move up, and we can say that we also need, you know, we need safety and security. We need love and belonging. We need self-esteem, and all of this is moving us up. But the, the interesting thing about this triangle is that when you get beyond the physical, it gets really hard to nail down exactly what that looks like. Right? Uh, safety and security, yeah, that, that, um, that's a little bit more concrete. Love and belonging, less so. Self-esteem, it's more personal. It's, it's a little bit um, hard to just grasp and say, okay, well, how do, uh, somebody who's confident, this is how you become confident. Or this is, this is how you have the respect of others. Or this is how you become a unique individual. 
it becomes harder to nail down the further up we go. And yet, we have these needs. And so, what I want to say throughout this entire series that we're talking about being fully human, fully alive, is that this triangle is, is, um, is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the Christian faith has incredibly deep resources for living a flourishing life. And yet we often don't tap into this. And so we're going to move through some of these more spiritual needs that we have uh, through this season. We're beginning with identity, but we're also going to look at meaning. We're going to look at satisfaction. We're going to look at uh, morality and justice and hope. All of these things that humans need in order to live a flourishing life. And the gospel gives us, I think, unparalleled and deep resources compared to any other way of any other religion or any other worldview today and in history. So that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing it through Lent. Um, And so we'll begin with identity. I'm just making sure my clicker works. Perfect. Okay. Begin with identity. The Christian identity is incredibly unique because it's not achieved, it's received. That's going to be the thread that moves throughout this entire sermon. The Christian gospel identity is unique compared to anything else in our world because it is received and not achieved. And because of this, it doesn't crush us. To explore this, we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at the need for identity, the problem with identity, and then the unique gospel identity. The need for identity, the problem with identity, and the unique gospel identity. So first, the need for identity. If you uh, looked up in the dictionary uh, identity, it would be semi-helpful. It would tell you that identity is the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. And what this means is that it's, it's basically shaped by what you're all about. And uh, for the purposes of this sermon, I want to introduce you to just three kind of basic identity questions that we all have to answer at some point in our lives. And we're answering them already, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. And that's this. First is, to what do I aspire? So this is, what are you, what are you all about? What do you set your heart on? What are you living for? What do you aspire? That's the first identity question. Second is, what am I worth? We all have to have some sort of basis for our self-worth. In how am I living up to my aspirations? How am I fulfilling the desires that I have for, my, uh, for aspiring, right? What, wh- how am I uh, living up to my highest good? What am I worth? And then the last one, who gets to say? Who are the ones who evaluate me? Who are the ones that are able to say whether or not I am worth it and I'm aspiring to the right thing? Okay, these three questions, we all have kind of flowing through our identities. And these three questions are actually saturated um, in this passage in Mark 8, which is all about identity, by the way. The identity of Jesus, the identity of his disciples, the misinterpreted identity of Jesus. Because in Mark 8, Jesus asks his, questions, Jesus asks his disciples a simple question. Who do people say that I am? 
Who do people, who am I? What's my identity? Who do, what do people think my identity is? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, some people say um, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them pointedly outright, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. And now Christ is a completely loaded uh, term in that culture. Um, and that, by making that statement, that is a very, very, uh, that's an identity statement that Peter is proclaiming upon Jesus. Um, wrapped up in this is an aspiration, right? To what, did you, what does Jesus aspire to? What has he set his heart on? Right? But in Peter's mind, he would have been thinking that Jesus is a strong military leader. He would enter Jerusalem, draw the sword, kick out the Romans, reestablish Israel as a dominant authority in that world. He would save them. He would set them free, redeem them from exile. That's what the Messiah did. That's what the Christ did. That was it, the Christ's job. From right here, I think um, we can see, you know, with, with how Jesus and Peter are interacting, that we all need an identity. Each one of us. We've got it. Whether we recognize it or not. And um, other people are also um, ascribing identities upon us. Our culture wants to do that to us. Right? Other people in our families maybe want to do that to us. And we, we are in a sense, in this way, like Jesus, we, we are having this identity thrust upon us. And Jesus pushes back against that. That's what leads to Peter and him getting into that, that little, um, you know, tiff that they get into where, where, where um, Jesus just rebukes Peter's because Peter's, I, Peter's ascribed identity on Jesus is off. But right here we have to ask ourselves, what about us? What's my life about? What do I aspire to, to accomplish? What to be known for? This is part of our identity. But this moves us on to uh, the problem with identity. So the problem with identity is that we are in constant danger of creating identities for ourselves that actually crush us. This is our biggest problem. And for the backstory on this, we need to go to the book of Genesis. Where we see that, you know, God created, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created human beings good and in his image. And he gave them agency over the garden to take care of everything that God had created. He gives them what's called the creation mandate. He says, be fruitful, multiply, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. And what he's saying there is to, for them to take the raw materials of the world, right, all the, all the things, and to make them better through building a beautiful garden. That's, that was their first job, was to build a beautiful garden. And as images of God, right, God made man in his own image. They were to reflect the goodness and the character and, and, and everything about God in and through what they did in the world. And so their work in the world was an act of worship. Their identity was, was, was all about being, uh, was knowing and worshiping God through everything that they did. That's what Adam and Eve's identity was. But the problem with identity begins in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve decided to be their own saviors and lords. They ate the fruit, and they chose to essentially create an identity for themselves apart from God. What, what was the temptation that the, the serpent told Adam and Eve? That you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Right? That's an identity. You will be like God. To what do you aspire? Why do they eat the fruit? Because they want it to be like God. And this, ever since then, has been our problem. Ever since then, we've had an identity problem. And all sin, all sin, has its root right there in identity. All sin is a refusal to find our deepest identity in God. This is why Peter and Jesus get into this back and forth action. Because Jesus refuses to find his identity in what other people think of him. He's found it squarely in God's call on his life. And that, that rubs Peter the wrong way. So if we don't find um, our identity in God, where do we find our identity? Well, there are two main ways that we form identities in this world. Uh, traditional identity and modern identities. So the traditional identities are what we could say outside in. Okay? They're where we look outside of ourselves to what our community says about us, our family says about us, and the way that we should live, and what we should be about. And then we push down our own personal desires and interests in order to live out what our community and our family says. It's outside in. So uh, the traditional identity would answer these three identity questions we mentioned earlier. To what do I aspire? To bring honor to my family and community in everything that I say and do. In the traditional identity, that's what it's about. And then what am I worth? My worth is defined by how much honor and goodness I bring to my family or community. It's about bringing honor. It's about living into that aspiration. And who gets to say, right? I think for this, in traditional identities, it's the older. The, the people who have raised you. The people, the respected ones in the community. They're the ones who get to say whether or not you're living up or you're worth it. For example, so if I lived in a traditional culture, I would have likely had three options for my life. First is to be a pastor. And I'm not saying that I'm living in a traditional identity right now. It's just for sake of um, naming this, be a pastor. Because that's an honorable thing in my family. Second is to go into the army. Because that's an honorable thing for my country. Third is to be a landscaper. Because that's what my dad does. And so if I were to, you know, out of high school, wander down the road and go into the mechanic shop and say, hey, I want, I want, to, I want to work here in a traditional identity, they'd say, why? Your family aren't mechanics. <laughs> what are you doing here? Go back home because your family are landscapers. So you got to become a landscaper. It's outside in. And one of the struggles with the traditional identity is that it's very set. It's very fixed. Right? It's, it's based on what family you're born into. And that essentially is the pathway. That's what your life is going to be all about. Very set. Very closed. But in our modern identities, it's been flipped. Modern identities are inside out. And by this I mean that what you first do, you don't look to your community, you don't look to your family, you look inside yourself. And you discover your own desires and your own passions, and you live those out regardless of what anyone says about you. And so to answer these three questions, to what do you aspire? To be true to who I am? What am I worth? 
My worth is defined by how closely I'm living up to my own values, my own ambitions, and my own desires. And third, who gets to say? Who gets to say whether you're worth it? You. It's on you. One of the greatest examples of this is from the movie Frozen. In Elsa's breakout song, uh, she actually on the spot throws off the traditional identity and throws on the modern identity. And so I I put the lyrics up on the screen. I'm not a Dinah Menzel, so I'm not going to sing it here this morning. But I think this is really interesting just to notice what's going on in this song, which, I mean, full disclosure, I really like Frozen. I love the animations. I love the storyline. But I just, I think that we have to be, we have to, we have to see what's actually going on here and how dangerous it can be. So, says this, the wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. And so what she's saying in this is, you know, she's got this secret power that, um, oh, this is going to test me, uh, that everything that she touches turns to ice and it turns beautiful. I'm seeing some nods, so I think I'm on the right track. And... um, But her family is telling her that's dangerous. You're not, that's not what our family is about. So conceal it. Don't feel, hide this. Don't let them know. Don't let people know. Keep it in. But that's, um, that's not where she lands. That's traditional identity. Now she moves on and she sings this. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And there, right on the spot, she throws off the traditional identity that was holding her back, and she puts on this modern identity. Now, I don't want to come across as... as as dogging the modern identity or dogging the traditional identity. As I said before, all identity that is not found in God is sinful. It's broken. It's not, it's going to hold us back. And I want to say today that it's actually going to crush us eventually. And here's what I mean by this. Okay, so for the traditional identity, what happens if you let your family down? What happens if you let your community down? Shame. Shame. You let people down. Shame. And we've seen this happen. Maybe you felt this happen when you've let people down. Or you haven't lived up to what, what people's expectations are of you. You felt that, that dirty, shameful feeling inside you. It's because, it's because our worth is being controlled by the people on the outside. People who could speak into our lives. We're held up to this certain standard, and when we fail it, we feel it. This is Harold Abrams. Maybe some of you know that, the Chariots of Fire movie. He's a 100-meter sprinter, and he says, you know, when I get down in the blocks, when I stare down that finish line, 
before that gun goes off, there's one thought that goes through my mind, and that is this, that I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Because what happens if he fails? Shame for his, his country. He's let down his country. I feel for every single Olympian who, who doesn't perform as well in their sport and then has to get in front of the camera and say, I'm sorry. What are they? There's, why? Why? It's the shame. It's the traditional identity. It's the shame. Now, but what about the modern identity? For the modern identity, it has the same questions. Well, what? It's not your community that you have to worry about. It's yourself. What if you fail your own standards? And here's the biggest problem with the modern identity is that nobody knows your flaws like you do. We're all broken. And there's absolutely no way that you can live up to your own desires, aspirations. Things are going to get in the way. You're going to get in the way. And what happens? How are you going to cope with yourself? And this is, modern identities are so fragile because they're based on how we feel about ourselves and how much we can do. So modern people were free, sure, but we're free to be constantly filled with anxiety about how we're performing or whether or not we're okay. So eventually, even with a modern identity, this is the interesting thing. With a modern identity, eventually we're going to have to look outside for affirmation because we as individuals are not strong enough to affirm ourselves. So we're going to have to look outside. And every culture only affirms those who are affirming the cultural moment. And so this, this idea that you're free to be yourself is actually a lie. It's not true. You're free to be who your culture wants you to be. And so in some twisted way, modern identities end up living a lot more like traditional identities. But all of this has to go to, down to say, and this is the point of this, the problem with identity is that, is that they'll eventually crush us. Traditional identity, modern identity, it'll eventually crush us. Unless there's a third way, and that's the gospel identity. We read in verse 34 here that whoever, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The first part of this uh, gospel identity begins with actually denying yourself. Denying yourself. Now this doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. This means to disassociate completely from a relationship. That's what deny means. And so to deny yourself is a refusal to be guided by your own interests, to surrender control of your own destiny. It's a radical abandonment of your own identity and self-determination. And it flies right in the face of a modern identity that says, I'm free. Right? No, you're not free. A Christian, a Christian is called to deny themselves and pick up their cross. But it also flies in the face of a traditional identity because it says, not follow your family, not follow your community, follow Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. As Christians, what do we aspire? We aspire to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That he is the most important person in our lives. That's what this is all about. What has he called me into? What does he want for my life? And here's where the dominoes begin to fall because we can track down these, these three questions that, I, you know, what do I aspire to? What am I worth? Am I worth following Jesus? 
Have I got the morality that it takes to follow Jesus? Can I actually do it? Can I do what he says? Can I be his disciple? And the answer is clearly no. No. Absolutely not. I constantly fall short. But, friends, as I said at the beginning, a a gospel identity is received and not achieved. Meaning we don't have to work for it. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give us a new identity. And that's what makes the gospel identity so unique. Right? Traditional identity achieved through bringing honor to your family and community. Modern identity achieved through looking inside yourself and living and being true to yourself and your desires. Gospel identity received through Jesus. And here's how it works. Okay? It's pretty simple. Jesus came to live the life you should have and to die the death you deserved. He put himself in your place. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ who never sinned to be sin for the sin offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. When you believe in God, it means he treats you as if you have done every single thing that Jesus did. So your value as a Christian does not go up or down based on your performance It is absolutely secure because it is received and not achieved. What are you worth? Matthew 5, right? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, and yet the Lord your God clothes them in such beauty. You are worth more than that. We're of infinite value of something that's received. It's not not earned. It's not something we have to work for. And who gets to say whether you're worth it? Not you, not your community or your family, but God. God, he's the only one that matters. And Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us that for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a result of works so that no one may boast. Because Jesus substituted himself for you on the cross, it means that when God looks at you, he sees him. He sees the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. All the affirmation that you need comes from him. And so if you're a Christian in this room, do you see the deep resource for identity that this is? It doesn't crush us. It doesn't hold this lofty expectation of us that we'll never meet. It affirms us to the deepest core, right? Because... It's something that is, is just received through, through, through grace. It affirms us. It lifts us up to the skies, but it humbles us to the depth because we know that we don't deserve it. And now if you're not a Christian in this room, wouldn't you want this to be true? Wouldn't you want this sort of light identity? An identity that's not based in moral performance, the ups and downs of what you can accomplish, but through Christ. Now, how do we get this into our heads, Christians? And I wrestled with this this week. And here's what I came up with. Call this simplistic. I don't know. You've got to pound it. So when I, um, maybe, you know, like when Keith, when Keith hammers a nail into a two-by-four, or when Matt hammers a nail into a two-by-four, it takes them one, maybe two swings or a half a swing, maybe. When I do, it takes me about 20 swings. <laughs> and that's the image that I want to leave you with. How do you get this gospel identity so that you actually start living it, knowing it, that you're, worth, you're of infinite worth, that you're, your value does not go up and down, 
That your identity doesn't crush you because it's rooted in Christ. It's received through faith. It's grace. You got to pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it day after day after day. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Come to church and hear the gospel. Come to church and hear the gospel. Come to church and hear the gospel. Pray to God. Pray to God. Pray to God. It's got to happen over and over and over and over and over again until we get it into our minds and it sinks down into our hearts that we have an identity in Christ that humbles us to the depths and lifts us up to the skies. Now, Lent is a perfect time to start putting that on display because it's a time when we focus ourselves on spiritual disciplines. Maybe you've given up something fasted for Lent. Or maybe, maybe if you haven't, maybe one of the disciplines you can do is just a discipline of pounding. Pounding the gospel into your head again and again and again. This is the identity we have in Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, that we can sit here and we can um, return to you through grace, um, by faith. God, we need your spirit to actually uh, take hold of these promises, this new identity that we receive and to to live uh, like it really matters in our lives, that it's the most important thing. God, help us to know, each one of us in this room, that there is an identity in Christ that is available to us that, that means that we don't have to be worried about our, our performance, that we don't have to uh, worry about what other people think of us, that, that, the, that you look at us and you smile. And God, may we know this to be real and true in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.